Uh, good morning. Once again, we are so glad that you're here. Thank you for joining us. If you're joining us online, thanks for joining us here in person. Brad, your facial hair is looking quite amazing. Uh, you're kind of looking like half caveman, half I just got out of bed. But either way, you're a handsome fella, and I appreciate you. I wanted you to know that. I uh, just want to plug these uh, fundraisers that are coming our way, guys. Uh, one, for those of you, Clay always says things in like such a mature fashion. And so when he was saying pay down camp, uh, what he meant was make it cheaper for the kids. It took me a minute. I'm like, Clay, what are you saying? But uh, I'm just not at his level. So I'll, I'll, he's, he's an intellectual, and I remembered how to put pants on this morning. So that's kind of where we're both at. Uh, but guys, these are going to be some awesome times, one for fellowship and two for us just to have a good time. We've done the karaoke nights in the past. We know how much fun that is. Come have a great time. It's a really awesome time to hang out uh, and just be together. But also uh, hear some people sing some really awful songs and sing those awful songs awfully. Uh, and so I know some of you guys have already been told aren't going to be here. You're going to be out of town. And I'll tell you what I told them. You want to send a donation our way? We'll record some videos put a little highlight tape together, and send it to you for your enjoyment. Um, as far as the arcade night goes, guys, we're going to compete for some high scores. Uh, if you're like me, you're probably not great at video games, but still highly competitive, and you'll want to win. If you're also like me, you've probably beaten Jake at video games a number of times, and uh, it still makes you feel good, even if it was one time out of 100. Uh, but come to that. Guys, these events are for everybody, not just people that are at our church, not just your friends. But if you happen to be hearing me online right now and you want to come check us out, we'll put those events up on our uh, Facebook page and you'll see when those are coming. Please come. You don't have to know us. Come, have fun. It's to support a good cause and uh, you'll get to compete and hopefully do well. But I just wanted to plug those uh, before we get started today. Now, we are in our series Alive. We are in week three. We're talking about the Christian's duty and responsibility to listen and to learn. And so where we're going to be today uh, is in Luke 24, if you kind of want to turn there in preparation. Now, I don't know about the rest of you men. I'm speaking to men only right now, uh, especially you married men, but I have been accused in the past of not listening too well. I don't know if that's ever happened to any of you, uh, but it happens to me probably more often than it needs to. Now, the result of that is that oftentimes I find myself going to places or doing things, being committed to things that I don't remember committing to. Uh, but I'm told, I'm told, and I believe her, okay, I'm told that we had a conversation about it, that during that conversation I was all for it, and surely I remember talking about it and having that conversation, even if that's not necessarily the case. Now, as you can imagine, that's very, very, very frustrating for me. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, for my wife, right, for the other party. Uh, she has initiated the conversation. She's delivered the information only to be looked at as if she never spoke to me at all. And uh, I know that that is not frustrating. Or I know that that is very frustrating is what I should say. Uh, I wish it was not frustrating because then I'd get off scot-free. Uh, now, how does that relate to what we're talking about today? Well, Jesus felt that very same way. So, Jericho, when you're feeling those frustrations, just remember, you're, you're being like Jesus. Jesus felt these same frustrations with his disciples after the resurrections, and oftentimes, I bet you, he feels that same exact way with us. 
because he had conversations with them. They should have known what to expect, and yet they were still completely oblivious to the happenings that surrounded not only Christ's crucifixion, but the resurrection as well. And so we're in Luke 24 today. We're going to start in verse 13, and we're going to go to 18 just to begin. And it says, Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Everything that had happened being Christ's crucifixion and the resurrection. It says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas, (laughs) what a name, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have happened there in these days. Can you hear the indignation in Cleopas' voice? Are you the only one who doesn't know what has happened here in these days? And so here's Jesus. He's on the road to Emmaus. He comes along a couple of his followers. He walks right alongside of them. He probably knows what they're discussing, but he asks, hey, what are you guys talking about? And here they come back to him thinking, They're just absolutely shocked by the question. He must be the only one who doesn't know. And these men are talking to Jesus as if he had no clue about his own crucifixion. As if he he didn't know what had just taken place. As if he hadn't told them earlier in his teachings with them, as we see in Matthew 16, 21, where it explains, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. So he had this conversation with them, right? He relayed all this information. And when they were having this conversation, they were so focused on whatever they were focused on, thinking that Jesus was going to be this mighty conqueror who would restore Jerusalem as a state right, who would make them the power that they once were and didn't catch on to what he was actually doing, all because they didn't listen and they didn't learn. So often we miss out on the things that Jesus is trying to teach us because we just don't listen to what he's trying to tell us. And so Jesus asked them, he goes on, he's, he's prodding a little bit, well, what things, right, this is, what, what things are you talking about? What things have occurred? And they say, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. What had Jesus already told them? I must go to Jerusalem. I must be killed. I will rise again in three days. He made this clear on a number of occasions. And when he finds his followers, what kind of state are they in? Are they in this excited expectancy? Are they looking forward to the days to come about what Jesus is going to be doing? No, it says that he comes upon them and their faces are downcast. Their faces are downcast. 
They completely missed out on what it was that Jesus was doing. And so here's Jesus' response. It comes in verses 25 and 27 in chapter 24. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things to enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So here's Jesus saying, not only did you hear it straight from my lips, not only did I tell you exactly as it would be, but it's written all throughout what we would call the Old Testament. Right? He talks about Moses and the prophets, the law and the prophets. That's basically what composes the Old Testament. It's written in all these things. You have all these writings that are pointing exactly to what has happened here. You should be excited. You should be expectant. You should know that I am about to deliver Israel, just not in the way that you had expected. And they completely missed the boat. And they're not alone. All of his followers... Miss the boat. Even last week, we talked about how downcast Mary was and how upset she was and the question that was posed to her, why are you crying? And we talked about her love and her desire to be with Jesus. But she should have known. She should have known in that moment that he wasn't there. She should have known in that moment that he had risen because he said that, because the scriptures had said that. What do we learn from this? I think the first thing that we learn is that to know Jesus' heart, we don't need to hear him speak. We just need to listen. What in the world does that mean? How can we listen if he's not speaking? See, too often as Christians, we find ourselves in this holding pattern because we're waiting for Jesus to speak into a certain scenario. We want to hear an audible voice. We want Christ to make it just painfully apparent the next steps that we are supposed to take as if we don't know his heart, as if it hasn't been revealed to us. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he has been revealed to us through scripture. And we just wait. And we just wait because we say, well, Jesus hasn't spoken to me about this situation. Or I've been praying about it, but I just don't have any leaning one way or the other. I don't feel a spirit calling me one way or the other. And Jesus is sitting there thinking to himself, you fools, have I not already answered you? Is it not already clear in scripture? Have I not already explained what it is that you're supposed to be doing? Has he not shown us the path? Has he not already told us the way? Did he not take the lead and leave heaven to walk on earth as a man to show us exactly how it is that we should live? We don't need Jesus to tell us to do things that scripture has already deemed appropriate. Why are both things important? So, pastor, are you saying that Jesus never speaks into a situation? Are you saying that I don't need to pray? Are you saying that I don't need to seek his guidance when I come across a big decision? No, I'm not saying that. I think Christ should be involved in every decision. I think that you should ask for his input. I think that you should try to let him lead and guide and direct your every step. 
Sometimes I just think that that guidance and that leadership is found in the word of God. What happens is we turn our faith into something that has no logic. And we look for Jesus to work in all these mystical ways. And we're looking for a miracle at every turn. And we're missing out on the miracle that's right there in front of us because Jesus has plainly explained to us how it is that we are supposed to live our lives. We don't need Jesus in every situation to speak, to tell us to love our neighbors as ourselves. We don't need Jesus to tell us to step up and serve. Well, I just don't know if I've been called that way. What does Jesus call us to do? He calls us to serve. If there's an opportunity to serve and it's a way that we can serve in a biblical manner, guess what? It's a good thing to do. That is logical. And our faith is logical. And we do ourselves a disservice and we do the world a disservice when we act as if it is not. We don't need Jesus in every situation to tell us to choose righteousness over sin. He's already revealed to us in Scripture what is good and what is evil. We don't need him to tell us that church should be a priority. We don't need him to tell wives and husbands to love one another. We don't need him to tell us to take care of our health. Our bodies are our temples, right? Scripture explains these things to us. So let's stop acting as if Christ hasn't already spoken. Let's stop living life petrified into inaction because Christ hasn't moved us in one direction or another. Pray about it. Seek answers in his word. Take a logical approach. Ask God to make it painfully evident to you. But we don't have to hear him speak to listen. We don't have to hear him speak to learn because he revealed himself to us in scripture and all scripture is useful for teaching and preaching and admonishing and helping us walk the path that it is that we are supposed to walk it's all there and so here are his disciples petrified into inaction by the death of christ but it was always coming and he told them that And here they are confused by his resurrection, but it was always prophesied to be. They just wouldn't get out of their own way to listen and to learn. So we continue in Luke chapter 24, verses 28 through 32, and it says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening, the day is almost over, and so he went to stay with them. And it's when he was at the table with them that he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them, just like he did at the Last Supper. And it was as if the fog was lifted off their eyes, and all was revealed, and here it is that they see Jesus. It says, then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Ha, oh, he's gone. They asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? Here's another thing that we missed out on. Not listening. 
is not an excuse for not knowing. Not listening is not an excuse for not knowing. See, another big mistake that we Christians make is that we expect Christ to always speak audibly and we ignore that thing inside of us that we call a conscience that convicts us of right and wrong, that tells us the path that we should go, that gift that I believe Christ has given all of us where our spirit rests to lead our way. And we say, Christ, why haven't you talked to me? Why haven't you made this clear to me? And he's saying, why are you ignoring the burning in your hearts? I have revealed this in the scriptures to you. So often the answer is burning within us. And we just don't have the faith or the confidence to listen. There's the truth. There is the painful truth. So often Jesus is answering our prayers. So often Jesus is telling us our next steps. So often Jesus is trying to push us towards a direction and help us make a decision. And we just won't listen to the burning in our hearts that he has placed there to help guide us. And it's there and we say, this isn't enough. I need you to speak. I need you to make it painfully obvious. I need a billboard. I need a sign. I once had a student in youth, and uh, he was a kid I loved as much as any student I have ever had in my life, ever. He was from the Gehetto, the 314, St. Louis. He was a gangbanger from the time he was a 10-year-old. One of his little brothers a few years ago was shot and killed in St. Louis in a gang-related shooting. This is a kid who, after he left me once he was in St. Louis, he got in trouble uh, for having a weapon in his backpack at school. Now, his defense, he didn't know it was in there. There are two backpacks in the home, looked the same, and he picked the wrong one. Having said that, did that get him out of trouble? No. But that's the type of scenario that he was living in. And he was asking me real questions, hard-hitting questions. I see people every day around me get shot and killed. And you know what? I want to kill them. How can Jesus forgive me for that? I know that I should love everybody, but I don't love everybody. I've been taught not to love everybody. I've been passed around from parent to parent to guardian to guardian. No one's looking out for me. I've got my boys in blue. I've got no one else. That was his life. And we had some real conversations about Jesus. And I tried to lay it all out there for him. And I shared my heart. And I explained to him the importance of having that relationship with Jesus and choosing the faith. And I showed him examples of people who came out of his hood that made it and that made that choice and turned their backs on that lifestyle and were leading a life for Jesus and were living a good life. And he just said, I just need a sign. I just need a sign. So I get a call one day. Hey, so-and-so was just hit by a car. He was trying to cross Kansas Expressway and he ran out in front of a car and I don't know if he didn't see it, I don't know what happened, but they didn't stop and he is hurt bad. So we rushed to the hospital and we see him and having this conversation, he is in a ton of pain. And he kept telling me over and over, I need a sign, I need a sign, I need a sign, I need a sign. And while we were just me and him, I had a minute to ask him, you know, I know that you're in a lot of pain right now. I know that this obviously is not a fun scenario and that you probably don't want to hear this, but do you maybe think that this is the sign that you were looking for? He'd been asking for one. He needed a wake-up call. 
by all intents and purposes, all the witnesses that saw the scene, he should have died. He didn't. Do you think this is a sign? His response was, I don't know. He was asking all the questions that were showing me that conviction was taking place in his life. He had that burning in his heart and maybe he just didn't know how to answer it. He asked for a sign and I think he got one and he ignored it. Not listening is not an excuse for not knowing. And unfortunately, I've lost touch with him over the years and I don't think he's a believer. And I don't know what type of lifestyle he's living. I hope it's a good one, but I would not be shocked if it wasn't. So often we say, God, we need you to speak. And even when he does, we just ignore it because it's not fitting our current narrative or we're not comfortable with it or whatever reason, we can come up with a list of excuses. But Christ is talking. God is moving. He's paved the way for you to hear and for you to learn and for you to know. In Romans 1.20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, those things you cannot see, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, from what He has created. Right? The creation cries out so that people are without excuse. You see, this verse is applicable in principle. We don't have to be told and we don't have to necessarily see God to know what is, to know he exists, to know he is here, to know he is present. I challenge you one time in your life to go fishing at night on a lake, find a way to do it. I've talked about this before, how fishing is my happy place. It's where I connect with God the most, being in nature and just being amongst his creation. But there is something really special about being on a lake at 11 p.m. at night, the only light coming from the moon if it's there, and looking up and seeing the heavens. And seeing the stars and knowing that they are too numerous to count. You feel God. You know God exists. That this was not an accident, that this didn't just come to be. We have no excuses. Go peek your head out the door right now if you want to and look at the rain and tell me that there's not a miracle in that process itself. You want to learn about the water cycle, Jericho will teach you. Give her a couple minutes after service. Creation testifies to the existence of God. Our hearts yearn for him much like they yearn to be in equilibrium with him. I think everyone in this room 
if they could strip it down, would be able to say, I know what it's like to be convicted. Maybe you don't necessarily know that that's what's happening to you, but you know what it's like to have that little tug pulling you in one direction or another. You know what it's like to have that happen in your life. We all know what it's like to have our conscience speak to us, to tell us, hey, I shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have done that, or that was wrong. I need to apologize for that. We all know what it's like to have that in our life. Unless you're a sociopath, and then please stay away from me. I love you. But here's the thing, not listening is not an excuse for not knowing. Because God is here to speak with you and have a relationship with you today. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to serve this church and be amongst this congregation with these people that I love. Lord, I hope that today was encouraging to them like it was encouraging to me. You know, oftentimes as Christians, we're petrified and we're inactive, not because we don't want to serve, not because we don't want to do things, not because we don't want to to act in a way that's pleasing to you, but because we are just scared of choosing the wrong thing. We don't want to do the wrong thing. We don't want to make a bad decision. We don't want to make a wrong choice. But Christ, you've revealed yourself to us We see you in scripture. You answer so many questions in your word. And if we'll just seek you, we will find you. And if we'll just seek those answers, we will find those answers for so many of life's situations. God, open our hearts to to the logical side of our faith. Open our hearts to, to find the answers that have already been provided for us. Break down those walls. Don't allow us to be lost in what can be the mysticism of our faith and all the things that we don't know and and, and all the things that we think that we have to see and hear and find in order to to follow you and, and the steps that you have planned out for us. Help us to get better at listening to that still small voice. Help us to answer the fire that burns within. Help us to be people who are active and who are looking for ways to serve you, even if we don't know if it's the right way, even if we don't know if it's perfect. God, if we are doing good things out of the love of our hearts, out of our, the love that we have for you, then we can be proud of what it is that we have done. And if you call us in another direction, we can change course but to be doing something for the kingdom, even if it's maybe not specifically what you have designed us to do, is better than to be doing nothing for the kingdom. So help us to see that. Encourage us, convict us. Draw us near. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to be right down here up front. If you need to come pray with me, please do. If you would like to use our stage as an altar, please do. You can speak to God directly. That's a great thing, isn't it, about our God? You don't have to come to me. I don't have a special connection that you don't have. But I would love to pray for you and encourage you and support you if there's something you'd like to talk to me about, certainly. If you need to know what it is to have a relationship with Christ, I'm here to tell you today that your excuses are removed. Jesus is very real. 
And there is personal responsibility in that decision. One day you will have to answer for why you put your faith in him or why you did not. And saying I didn't know or I wasn't sure or I didn't get the sign isn't going to work. So if you're not a Christian, if you don't know Jesus, you at least owe it to yourself. If there's even a slightest chance that I'm right, you owe it to yourself to have that conversation and to explore the fact that Jesus is a very real and active being in our world. If you would like to be a member of our church, we would love to have you. Stand now and let's worship God.